So we have two weeks till Easter. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and the Sunday after that will be Easter. And so this morning, I want to start a sermon series for the next three Sundays called The Road to Easter. The Road to Easter. I will start it this morning. I will preach about it next week, and then I will conclude it on Easter Sunday morning. The Road to Easter. So I encourage you, please don't miss out. Please be faithful to church and, uh, and let's listen to the word of the Lord as I share with you what I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to know during this Easter season. Would you say this with me? The road to Easter. Everybody say it again. The road to Easter. And so I'm going to start today and then I'll end it on Easter Sunday morning. You know, uh, every year Easter comes along. Christmas comes along. Mother's Day, Father's Day. And I'm always, as a pastor, trying to find something new. Like, I need to find something so deep that when they leave church, they're like, wow. But I've discovered something. That after doing this for so many years, I can only go deep so much. <laughs> you know, I, I can only bring out so much to the story. I mean, it's the same story. The Easter story is the same story. And the Christmas story is the same story. So every year I'm like, what can I find in this story that nobody's heard before? And you know what? I've kind of taken that pressure off of my life. And do you know why I've taken that pressure off of my life? Because the word still works every year. It still works. And, and that no matter, and no matter how many times I read it, get this, there's always something I've never seen before. Now, maybe you've seen it, and maybe you've read it, but me personally, when I read it, there's always things in the story I've never seen before. So on a personal level, that's true. May not be true for you, maybe you've seen it before. But I just want you to be encouraged today that even though it's the same story, and you've heard it year after year, I want you to be encouraged that it still has the potential to change your life. And number two, I want you to be encouraged to know this. That just because you have heard the Easter story doesn't mean that everybody else has heard it. So we've got to be very, we've got to be very aware that we live in a post-Christian world and not everybody understands the Easter story like you do. And not everybody understands the holidays like you do. So we need to be sensitive to those people that may not understand the importance of Easter. So this morning, as I was reading and studying, I found in my personal devotion time, and I found as I was studying, and as I was looking at the Easter story, I found out some things personally that I've never seen before. And when I saw it, it really brought encouragement to my soul. So this morning, I believe the best sermons are birthed out of personal study and devotion and consecration to God. And so as I was reading this Easter story, like I have read for years all my life, I feel like that the Spirit brought some things out to me that I feel like could be applicable to your life today. And so I want to bring out some things about the disciples, the disciples about the Easter story. Now, why do I believe that this is important? Well, if you look at, we're just going to look at Matthew chapter 26 today, and I want to look at the disciples and how messed up they truly were. 
I mean, these people were really messed up. And I believe that this is really important for all of us to hear this morning is because I think that we all can relate to it. I mean, there's a part of our life that's messed up. All of us are broken. All of us are on this road. All of us are on this journey. I think we all can sympathize and empathize with the disciples. And when you look at the disciples this morning, you will find out that, you know, Jesus needed these disciples at the critical time of his life, and they were not there. At the most critical, desperate time of Jesus' life, the disciples were not present. Now, I'm not sure about you, but that would be devastating to have the people that you love in your life, the people that you're close to, they're not even there for you in the most critical, darkest times of your life. And the disciples, they had spent three and a half years with Jesus. And Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry. He's coming to the end of his life. And the disciples were nowhere to be found. The disciples failed him. The disciples were cowards. Now I want to ask you a question. How would you feel after you have invested your life into these 12 men And at the end of your life, at the most critical time of your life, at the most desperate time of your life, at the last hours of your life, they were nowhere to be found. They were cowards, most of them. I think maybe a couple of them were around, but the majority of them had scattered. How would you feel? And yet, this is the Easter story. The Easter story has all kinds of messed up people in it. The Easter story has a bunch of disciples who failed him. The Easter story is composed of these 12 men who really failed the Lord in the end. And the narrative of the passion of the Lord tells us about this. Chapter number 26 describes the last hours of Jesus' life. Now, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read little, I'm going to read uh, just bits and pieces of chapter 26 to establish my point. Now, I want you to focus on the disciples, and I want you to see their response to Jesus, and I want you to see their response to the situation. Chapter number 26 and verse number 8. Now, you don't have to turn there. I just want you to see here. In chapter 26 is the last hours of Jesus' life. And in the last hours of Jesus' life, there's many different situations and events that was happening at the last hours of his life. In chapter number 26 and verse number 8, there was, there was the situation where the woman came in to anoint Jesus. It's the anointing at Bethany. And the Bible says a woman came in with an alabaster box and began to anoint Jesus. And the Bible says in verse number 8, the disciples, when they saw this woman take this expensive perfume and break it and to anoint Jesus' body, they began to become upset. They were frustrated, and their response was this, why the waste? So here, don't lose me, in the last hours of Jesus' life, the disciples still didn't understand who Jesus was. Why are you breaking this alabaster box 
Why you could have sold this and gave it to the poor. Why the waste? So here, number one, I want you to see is that the disciples failed to understand the significance of who Jesus was. Because if they really understood that Jesus was the Messiah, they would have no problem with breaking of the alabaster box. So I want you to see in the last hours of Jesus' life, the disciples failed to understand who Jesus was. Now let's move on in chapter 26. Because in chapter 26, all kinds of things are happening. So right after that event, in chapter number 50, or chapter, or excuse me, verse 15 of chapter 26, the Bible says that Judas, one of the 12, sold the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. So not only do you have all of the disciples upset with the Lord because he allowed a woman to break an expensive box over him, they could have sold it and used it for their ministry, They didn't understand who he was, but now you have one of the 12 selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, I'm not sure how you would feel, but I think I would be heartbroken to know that a person that I've invested myself into turned around and sold me for 30 pieces of silver. He's heartbroken. Jesus is not only God, but Jesus is also human. He does have feelings. Verse number 15, Judas sells him for 30 pieces of silver. What about verse number 22? Verse number 22 is Jesus celebrating the Passover. And here, all of them is sitting at the table. And they're getting ready to uh, celebrate the Passover together. And Jesus said to all of them at the table that one of them is going to betray him. And all of them at the table said, Lord, is it I? Now, this is what I find interesting about that statement. Number one, I do find, I'll give them some credit. I think that's a a good response. It's self-evaluation. It's self-reflective. I think that's good to have in your life. Lord, is it I? I think that's a good response. But I want to push the envelope and say this. You mean to tell me after three and a half years, that nobody on the team could discern that Judas? You mean to tell me you can work with somebody for three and a half years and not discern that maybe they are backsliding? You mean to tell me you can walk with the greatest man on planet Earth and still not have enough discernment that one of them... They couldn't discern that Judas was backsliding. They couldn't discern that. They couldn't find any indication to give them that maybe Judas was, and, and, and top it all off, that even if they did have discernment, I think I would go to talk to my brother. Say, listen, Judas, this is, this is not what you need to do, bro. This is not a good plan. You probably don't need to be selling the master for 30 pieces of silver. And here, all of them at the table acts like they're ignorant. Lord, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Nobody had discerned. What are you saying, pastor? They didn't understand who Jesus was. They complained over the alabaster box. Judas is selling them for 30 pieces of silver, and yet these guys are sitting at the table and had no discernment that he already done it. 
They lacked discernment. They didn't understand what was happening. Verse number 33. Now hold on, we're still in the same chapter. Verse number 33 of the same chapter, this is what's getting ready to happen. Verse number 33, Jesus begins to predict his death in chapter number 26. And this is Peter's response. Peter answered him and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never stumble. Do you see the boastfulness and self-confidence of Peter? I mean, you don't see a, a contrite heart here. You see somebody who's boastful. Lord, I'll never fail you. I will never stumble. Even if everybody else leaves you, Lord, I will stay with you. This is in the same chapter. Do you see all these events? These disciples are unaware of who Jesus truly is. They're complaining about the alabaster box. Judas is selling the Lord. All of them lack discernment. Peter is acting boastful that he will never stumble. And get this, verse number 35 says this. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. Hmm. I think that these disciples had more talk than they had walk. Reminds me of, you know, modern day Christianity. We want to win the world for Jesus, but we can't show up for church. We want to win the world for Jesus, but we don't want to sacrifice. It sounds like the modern day church, don't it? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll go to the end of the world. They all kind of act boastful and prideful. What about verse number 40? This is in the same chapter, folks. Same chapter. Last hours of Jesus' life. Jesus goes to a garden. And Jesus is so heavy. I would be heavy too. My, you know what? I'd be going to the garden saying, Lord, did I make the right decision with these 12 guys? Lord, I'm, I'm getting ready to die on the cross because I know none of them are going to go with me. They, they're just all talk. Lord, help me. If it's possible, please let this cup pass from me and deliver me from this. It's one thing to be in trouble and have people supporting you, and it's another thing to be in trouble and have no one there to help you. Here is Jesus in the last hours of his life, and Jesus said, I can't even get you to pray with me. He says, could you not watch with me just one hour? Now, isn't this interesting? Can I just push it a little bit? Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? It's interesting in a few chapters, just a few chapters. Guess who was on the mountain praying with the Lord? Peter, James, and John. These three people were found sleeping in the garden. So that tells me it doesn't matter how many mountaintop experiences that you have, you still got to come down from the mountain and learn how to pray. 
Can I say that again? It doesn't matter how many mountaintop experiences that you have. You've got to learn to come down to the mountain and pray. So Peter, James, and John was on Mount Transfiguration, right? And these are the same disciples who fell asleep. Now, hold on. I'm not done. In the same chapter, same chapter, not only do you find them sleeping, but verse number 56 but all of this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all, all of the disciples forsook him and fled. All of the disciples. In the last hours of Jesus' life, he couldn't get these disciples to stay with him. I mean, folks, this is heartbreaking. I mean, the road to Easter is heartbreaking. The road to Calvary is heartbreaking. The closer you get to the cross, the less people that follow you. They were all with him when he fed the multitudes and gave him a fish sandwich. But when things got really serious and he got closer to the cross, the road to Easter, there was very few that followed him. They forsook him and they fled. Now, in the same chapter, folks, the same chapter, the last hours of Jesus' death, the chapter ends like this. Verse number 75, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so he went out and wept bitterly. Do you see what I'm saying here? Let's stop. Let me push rewind. Let me back it up. And now let me read to you everything that just happened in chapter 26 the last hours of Jesus' life, right before he was taken to the cross, the very last hours, these are the things that happened in the last hours of his death. Number one, the disciples complained about the anointing in Bethany. They complained about the alabaster box. Number two, Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Number three, they all lacked discernment at the Passover table. Number four, Peter was boastful and self-confident. Number five, all the disciples were prideful. Number six, all the disciples fell asleep. Number seven, all of the disciples fled. And number eight, Peter denied him the last hours of his life. The last moments of his life. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that you were so heartbroken, so devastated? You were crying within and you just needed somebody to be there with you. No wonder his heart was heavy. No wonder his sweat became like great drops of blood. In that very moment, Jesus was reversing the curse of sin. In the garden, 
The curse was, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. But in the garden, his sweat became blood because he was reversing the curse of sin. Hmm. The last hours of his life. Think about this road to Easter. Think about this story. You know what this story teaches me? It teaches me, this is so wonderful. Now, I'm, listen, I'm not a Debbie Downer this morning because I'm going to wrap it up and I'm going to tell you something so amazing, something so spectacular that happened to these disciples. I want to give you five quick points, which five. I'm just going to go over them real quick. Number one, you know what this story teaches me? This story teaches me that the gospel is not just the gospel is not just for sinners. The gospel are also for believers. Sometimes we preach the gospel and we think it's just for sinners. But let me tell you something. The word gospel means good news. The good news is just not for sinners on their way to hell. But the good news is also for every believer that's in this building this morning. There's good news to you. Can somebody say amen? The gospel is not only for sinners, but the gospel, the good news, is for every believer that's failed, for every believer that was heartbroken, for every believer that's messed up in sin, every believer that's struggling. The gospel is for you too. The gospel is not only for sinners. Gospel it's for believers. It's for those disciples. Number two, it tells me in this story that failure is not final. These disciples were, 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 were really, they failed a lot. They were cowards. You wouldn't pick them to be on your army, and you certainly wouldn't pick them to be on your pastoral staff. These are not people that you would have picked. But the gospel tells us that it's for them too. It's not just for sinners. The gospel is for saints as well. And failure is not final. Let me just say this loud and clear so all of hell can hear me. It doesn't matter what you did in your life or what you said and where you went or who you slept with or whatever you did. The blood of Jesus is still stronger than every sin you have ever committed. The blood of Jesus still works. And failure is not final. And just because you have messed up doesn't mean you're out of the league. Whew. Yes. Number three, it teaches me that you don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. I just wish somebody behind the curtains would just shout this morning. You don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. And I grew up in church. You know what I'm talking about, Jimmy. I grew up in church, and I love them. I'm not, there ain't nothing wrong with them. When I grew up in church, they told you to do something. You did it because I didn't want to go to hell. So if they told me I got to lengthen my shirt and shave the beard, I did whatever they told me to do because I was afraid of hell. But nowadays, you 
You know, the apostle said, or the, the man in Acts that was delivered from the, from the jailhouse, he said, what must I do to be saved? But nowadays, we ask the question, what can I do and still be saved? How far, pastor, can I push the envelope so I can still be a Christian? But it still reminds me that you don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. Because you look at all these disciples, chapter 26, y'all know you wouldn't hire them to do anything for you. But you don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. Let me just stop here and say this. If you got to come to this altar every Sunday and pray over the same thing, baby, keep coming to the altar. If you got to have prayer every day, keep getting prayer every day. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with, come to church. I don't care what you're smoking, still come to church. If you're high, come to church. If you're drunk, come to church. You're sleeping around, come to church. Because church is not the hospice for the dying, but the church is a hospital for the sick. You don't have to be perfect to be a follower of Jesus. Whew, I think I'm just, that needs, I just, whew, yes, yes, yes. I don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. Number five, four. Are y'all ready for this? The disciples did not quit following Jesus just because they failed. Can I just say that again? The disciples did not quit following Jesus just because they failed. I don't care if you got in an argument on your way to church and cussed your spouse out. I'm glad you're here. Because you know what the devil want to tell you? Go home. Don't go to that church and put a face on. They didn't quit. Judas quit. The other disciples, they were failures according to the world standards. Can I say something? I, let, let's, let's give him some credit. Okay. Okay. At least they said, Lord, if everybody else don't follow you, I'll follow I mean, Come on, let's give him credit. Okay, they were a bunch of talk, but let's give him credit. Because I think this is what's going on in the story. They were trying to be disciples. But Jesus was training them to be world changers. They were trying, but Jesus was training. They were trying, but Jesus was training. It also teaches me. That, number five, God does his best work through imperfect people. 
The road to Easter was marked with failure. The road to Easter was marked with tears. The road to Easter was marked with disappointment. The road to Easter was marked with 12 men who were cowards. But that's the gospel. He uses imperfect people. Now, I love this. Because in the end, Matthew chapter 28, at the end of the book, here these disciples are hiding. Jesus is crucified. John will give him props. He showed up to the crucifixion. Judas has hung himself. The others are hiding somewhere. And Jesus is resurrected. And you know what's interesting is when Jesus was resurrected, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and she thought that the Lord was a gardener. So even she didn't even discern who he was. All these people who spent all this time with the Lord and they still couldn't discern who he was. She thought he was a gardener. The Lord says to Mary, don't touch me. I'm not yet ascended, but I want you to go. I'm going before you in Galilee. And I want you to go tell my disciples that I'm risen. Is that what he says? I want you to go tell my disciples that I'm risen. Matthew chapter 28, verse 9. Look at it. Matthew 28, verse 9. Then as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came, held by his feet and worshiped him. Verse number 10. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there, and there what? You'll see me. Hold on. There you'll see me. Women, go. Go get my disciples. Tell them to meet me in Galilee. For I want to see them. Because that's what happens when you feel like a failure. Have you ever felt like you disappointed somebody and you can't look them at the, in them in the face? Have you ever felt like you hurt somebody and you can't look at them in the face? You kind of have your head down because you don't want to look at them. You know you disappointed them. And to look at them breaks your heart. But the Lord says to these women, go tell my brethren, go tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee because I want to see them. You mean to tell me after I have failed you? After I have denied you? After I have walked away from you, you still want to see me? That's the gospel, folks. He still wants to see us. And when he looks at us, he doesn't judge us for our failings. He looks at us 
And he redeems us because of his resurrection power. And he says, I'm going to lift you up out of the miry clay. The same spirit that lifted me up out of the grave. I'm going to lift you up out of the womb of destruction. And I'm going to bring life back to you again. I want to see you. And then Jesus says this. The writer tells us in Matthew 28 verse 16. I'm almost done. Look at it. This is right before Jesus goes to heaven. And then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Now get this. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some, what in the world? Disciples, what is your problem? Get a life, folks. That's what you want to tell these disciples. What in the world? You doubting again? But folks, the story was written for us. Because some of us have experienced the Lord so much in our life. And the Lord has reassured so many things to us, but there comes times in our life that we doubt. And the story was penned for us to know this. That doubt doesn't intimidate the Lord. It's okay to struggle in life. It's okay to doubt even after you've saw it. Even after you've experienced it. Because the Lord is not intimidated by your doubt. Because the word to the women was this. I go before you to Galilee. You know what the Lord is saying? I go before your doubt. I go before your sorrow. I go before your suffering. I've already been in your doubt, and I've come back to let you know it's going to be okay. And then he says in verse 18, after these people doubted all, Jesus spoke to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Verse 19, go therefore baptize people Preach the gospel. Make disciples. Oh, hold on. What? Jesus, you want me to make other believers after I just did all of that stuff? Don't I have to go to seminary for three years? Don't I have to be ordained? You mean to tell me, Lord, I just messed up in chapter 26 and chapter 28, you're asking me to go make other Christians. You mean to tell me, am I good enough for people to follow? Will people listen to me? Am I good enough? I have failed you. You mean to tell me I, you want me to go make other disciples after I just did all of that in 26 and Jesus is saying, Yep. Because you know what the story teaches us? This is my point in the road to Easter. Pastor Lewis, this is what it's saying. Failed disciples make the best witnesses. Failed disciples Make the best witness. You know why? 
Because you're not only to share your faith, but you are to share your struggles too. Jesus is saying, go get somebody. Share with them what I've done on Calvary and that their sins can be forgiven. But as you're telling them, make sure you tell them everything you did in chapter 26 and let them know I still wanted to see you after all. Failed disciples make the best witnesses. Share your faith. But while you're sharing your faith, tell them. It's okay. I know you're struggling. I want to let you know what I did a few years ago. I told the Lord I'd never leave Him. And right before the Lord died, I, I denied Him three times. And you know what? He told my sis, Mary, to go get me. Because he wanted to see me in Galilee. He wanted, to, he wanted to see me. He wanted to see me. I didn't want to see him. I was heartbroken. I, I broke his heart. I didn't want to see him. He wanted to see me. And then he told me that, that I should go get other followers. And I want to tell you that no matter how broken you are, no matter how broken you are in chapter 26, I want to let you know that He's the God of chapter 28. He's the God of chapter 28. One theologian said it like this, and I quote, It is not the message of failure, but a resounding affirmation of God's design to overcome all imaginable human failure in and through the action of God's Son. Failed disciples make the best witnesses. Acts 17, verse 6. These cowards, these people who didn't get it right. Bible says in Acts chapter 17, something happened. Because the religious leader said, these, these people, these disciples have turned the world upside down. You mean these people in 26 that couldn't discern lack of understanding? They were boastful, proud. They slept. They, they fled. They denied Him. These changed the world upside down. Yes. Because that's the gospel. That's the gospel. When you look at this cross... At Easter, who would ever think? You think the Romans 2,000 years ago would 
have in their mind that the world would lift a cross up on churches and cathedrals throughout the seven continents of the world. This is an emblem of the world's largest religion. The Romans had no idea that their execution chair would be an emblem of celebration. The road to Easter was marked with cowards. It was marked with tears. It was marked with suffering. But it was also marked with hope and redemption, encouragement, faith, love, forgiveness. It tells us that no matter how imperfect you are, Jesus still invites you to be a part of his church. He still invites you that you don't have to be perfect when we have an outreach event. Pastor, I can't go tell people about Jesus. I'm not perfect. Failed disciples makes the best witnesses. He invites you to be a part of this church. One theologian said it like this, and I close. We are all a fellowship of sinners before we're a fellowship of saints. I'm thankful and grateful at this Easter season that all of us are called to be a part of his church. Amen.